Second Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be. I'm thankful for singing women too, I should say that before I get in trouble. Uh, but Second Peter chapter 3, and uh, I've, we're, we're cruising through this. Am I on, Dave? Okay. We're cruising through this, and uh, as I said this morning, I think when we get done Second Peter, uh, we're going to jump into Malachi, or as a friend in college called it, Malachi the Italian prophet. And so um, you come and hear about Malachi the Italian prophet uh, when we're done Second Peter. We have probably a couple more weeks left here, um, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll start in Second Peter 3, uh, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 10 tonight. And as I said this morning, really excited about this text, and I, I do pray that it comes across. Sometimes I get really excited about something, and then I share it, and everyone else is like, that wasn't that exciting. Uh, so hopefully this is exciting for you, uh, as it was for me uh, in my study, and that uh, we can just all be encouraged together. But let's uh, read the text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into it together. Starting in verse number five, it says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world uh, that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the uh, same word, I'm sorry, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening that we can gather again, and we do thank you for your word. And God, if, if we didn't have your word, it would be really hard to meet because uh, there would be so much divisiveness over what should be talked about. But God, you've given us your word, and so you've made it easy to meet, you've made it enjoyable to meet, and you've given us a purpose in meeting, and that is to study your word together so that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God, I pray tonight as we go through this passage and uh, we look at these verses that were written so many years ago that we would see their relevance and their pertinence for us today. God, I pray that we would take the, uh, the message of Peter and that as he spoke it with urgency, God, that we would also speak it and live it with urgency because we understand that one day judgment is coming. And God, I do pray that, that those in the room, that we would be prepared for this coming day. I pray that we would do our due diligence in preparing our kids for the day that's coming. God, I pray that we would take seriously this idea of, of taking <laughs> the name of Christ to the world to prepare those around us for this judgment uh, because we understand that things will not always continue as they are, uh, but you will create all things once again and you will bring your children into everlasting peace into your kingdom. And as we saw this morning, in Matthew 25, you will, God, destroy the wicked and ungodly in a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. So God, help us to, to think sober thoughts concerning the message of Peter. Help us to take it to heart, and may we live these things out for your honor and glory and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Contrary to popular opinion, uh, ignorance is not always bliss. Who's heard that statement before? Ignorance is bliss. Why do people say that? So they can get away with whatever. What sort of situations would people say that about? Evan. Yeah, that's right. We've all definitely used that one before. Uh, anybody else? When do people use that? Dave. Sometimes, I think, when legitimately, when there's uh, nothing you can do about the situation, and it would cause distress. Sure. Yep. No, that's a valid one. Uh, somebody else? Any thoughts? Maybe when you have used this. Dave, you're a cop. You were a cop. You've heard this a lot. Oh, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. It didn't bother you one bit. Um, and so we all have instances where we probably have heard that statement or used that statement that ignorance is blissful. But when would ignorance not be blissful? Heidi. Sure. Absolutely. She preached my message. We can go home. <laughs> Somebody else? When is ignorance not blissful? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't care if you're ignorant to something, right? Uh, it's a good one. Somebody else? Wendy. Yeah, medical-related stuff. Certainly uh, it, being ignorant to those things um, can, can oftentimes do more harm than it does good. Well, as Peter is writing here, as he continues to write, uh, he encourages and exhorts and challenges these believers uh, in, in the Word of God to be not ignorant about what's going to take place in the future. Uh, there are many people, as, as Heidi said, who want to claim ignorance when it comes to spiritual things, the Word of God, and just say, well, if I don't know it, then it's not going to affect me. But Peter's writing to refute that argument. He's saying just because they claim ignorance... It doesn't mean that one day they're going to be let off the hook. It doesn't mean that, that they'll be able to, to get out of the situation just because they weren't fully aware of the situation. But what were these uh, scoffers, as Peter calls them, uh, being ignorant about? Well, if we went back to the first four verses in Second uh, Peter 3, uh, we'll read it. It says this. This is the second epistle, beloved, and now write, I, uh, write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments uh, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." And so uh, the, the message that Peter is writing is to refute the message of the scoffers. And these scoffers were coming on the scene and they were making light of this idea that there was going to be a future judgment. And why were they making light of it? Because things have been continuing as they were for as long as they knew. Since the fathers or the prophets had fallen asleep, things have always continued to be the same way. So why would we give any credence to a future judgment? It's not going to happen. God's a liar, so just live any way that you want. Live to please yourself. Live to do what feels good. Live according to what you think is right. And Peter calls them scoffers, and just so we know, that's, that's not a nice word, right? He's, he's calling them mockers or people who aren't taking biblical truth seriously, 
And he's writing to warn these Christians about these people. And so as we get into this section tonight, Peter is going to talk about the willful ignorance of the scoffers. And then in the second section, he's going to be encouraging believers to not be ignorant. The world is ignorant. People around us are ignorant. And I don't, I don't mean that in a, in a critical way, saying, oh, you're just an ignorant person. But they're willfully ignorant of the truths of God. They've chosen not to listen to them. But Peter's saying, as believers, we can't be ignorant. We have to be understanding of these things. We have to have understanding of these things. We have to be ready to see these things come to be. And so Peter wanted these Christians to believe this statement that we can learn about God's faithfulness in the future because we understand God's faithfulness in the past. And as we look to examples in the Old Testament and we see how God came true or made true or made good on his word in the past, what can we also know? That he's going to make good on his word in the future. It doesn't matter if you claim ignorance. God's word is going to be true. And if we live with that truth in our mind, we'll be kept from following foolish errors. And so we're going to break this up into two sections, um, verses 5 through 7 and then verses 8 through 10. And as we look at these things, I pray that God would, would capture our hearts with these truths and that we would be encouraged to live them out as we go from here tonight. In verse number 5, it says this, For they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Willingly ignorant. Peter is going to point out some areas where these scoffers are, as John MacArthur puts it, dealing with a self-induced blindness. Peter doesn't just say they're ignorant, does he? He says they're willfully ignorant. And that's a big difference. Uh, being ignorant could simply just mean that you didn't understand or you didn't know something. But Peter is saying they're willfully ignorant. The message has been preached. The warning has been given. The truths have been proclaimed. And they're being willfully ignorant about these things that are coming to be. Well, what, what are they ignorant about? Well, Peter tells us in verse number 5, the first, first off, they were ignorant about the account of creation. He says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. What does that describe for us? Genesis. Peter, Peter's reminding his hearers or his readers, these Christians, that these scoffers are not taking into account the very things that you hold as truth. And so they're not looking at it from the same angle. They're not looking at it from the same direction. Peter says they're preaching a different message because their hearts are coming from a different place. He says, but you know the truth. And so these scoffers are saying things are always has, as they have been. Nothing's changing. Nothing's going to change. Don't worry about it. But Peter says, I want you to understand that what they're, they're not taking into account is that the world was created by somebody, and if the world was created by somebody, then who has the right to judge that world? God does. God does. Yes. Uh, I, th I think there was probably a mix here. I think some of it could have been um, like a, a Jewish sect that was rebelling against the truth that had been... Um, been revealed, but I think at, at this time, by this time, he's speaking to such a broad group of people that it could have been a broad group of false teachings that were, were coming about. And so, um, as, as we know, you know, not everybody had a copy of the Old Testament for themselves, but the, the Old Testament still was readily taught. It was readily available uh, by, by many different rabbis, many different teachers. And so, Peter wanted them to understand that 
the reason they're heading in the wrong direction is because they got their start in the wrong place. They're saying there, there is no truth that you're clinging to that actually is going to live out beyond your imagination. He says the, 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 this idea that things are going to get worse or that judgment is coming is not real. This is what the scoffers would say. But Peter then goes on to say, we know that judgment is coming because the word of God stands. Uh, and so Peter tells us, in, in, again in verse number 5, that, the, that by the word of God, the heavens of old were, uh, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And so Peter's drawing these believers' minds back to the truth. And he wanted the truth to serve as the foundation for all of their decisions. And isn't that a good place to make your decisions from? The truth. Isn't that a good way to, to plan your life from a foundation of truth rather than a foundation of feeling? Peter wanted them to remember that it was by the word of God. In Genesis 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the, heaven was without, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And so Peter's taking them back to what they would have known, that the worlds were framed, as Hebrews says, by what? By the word of God. That God was the one who created it, and therefore, against what the scoffers saying, God was going to be the one who would judge it. God was going to be the one who would hold the world accountable. Um, and so as Peter continues in verse number 6, and we'll stop after 7 and we can have some discussion. But Peter says, whereby the world uh, that then was being overflowed with water perished. So Peter says, I want you to think back. He said, the, word, the world that we know was created by the word of God, but then I also want you to know that something took place and God judged the world as Adam and Eve knew it, and now the world that we live in is radically different from the original created world, but all of that was done by the word of God. He created it by his word, and then I believe God judged it in the flood by his word, that the wickedness of man has come up before me, and therefore I am going to judge the world. And when Peter uses this word perish, um, we understand what that means. God's judgment on the old world was not a little bit of rising water that caused people's ankles to get wet. No, he's painting a picture for them to help them realize that many, many people, because of the judgment of God, perished when the world was flooded. And so as, as we think through Peter's logic here of shoring up the, the faith of these believers, what is he going back to? He's going back to the Old Testament. And the more I study the New Testament, you know what I'm realizing? How much more I need to believe in the Old Testament. Because if, if what Peter is saying here is talking about a mythical flood that happened, then the people have nothing to worry about. But Peter wasn't talking about a mythical world being destroyed. He was talking about an actual flood that destroyed not just the creation of the earth, but it destroyed many, many people who chose to reject the truth of God's word. And so Peter is doing a, an excellent job here of, of reminding these people of the truths that they had already believed in. He's reminding them of the foundation of their faith. The foundation of our faith is not the Gospels alone or the New Testament alone, but it goes all the way back to Genesis 1-1 where we see that God created all things. And as Heidi said a moment ago, much of the world, and especially these scoffers, they were willfully ignorant of these things because they were thinking to themselves, if I don't believe it, then it's not going to affect me. 
Well, as Wendy said, how does that work in the medical world? Not very good. If, we're, if we just simply believe something's not going to affect us, um, guess what? It's still going to affect us. Um, if, if Alyssa back there, if she says, I'm not pregnant, what's going to happen eventually? That baby's going to come out, right? And whether she wants to believe it or not, she was pregnant. And, and that's what Peter is saying here. He's using that same logic that just because you say you don't believe something doesn't mean it's not a reality. It doesn't mean it's not true. And Peter wanted them to remember back. And when they remembered back to the first judgment, the great judgment, when God destroyed the world, it would give them confidence of the future judgment that he's going to write about. And friends, whether we like it or not, there should be a part of us that lives with that future judgment on our mind. Why? Because we are all going to stand before God one day and give an account. All of us. And we know that we're not going to be judged as the lost world, but we do understand that our works, our deeds are going to be judged to see the motive behind the work. And so we still live in light of that judgment. And this judgment that Peter's talking about, he reveals that the world is going to be destroyed with a fervent heat and with a great sound. What a, what a scene that's going to be. And as we think of that judgment, first off, it should, it should grow within us this idea of thankfulness that we're not going to go through that judgment, that we'll escape because of what Christ has done, but it should also give us a desire to share the truth. Why? Because many people are going to go through that judgment. So Peter tells them, he says, I want you to remember that this is what the scoffers are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were created. And then when when or the heavens and the earth were created, and the earth came up out of the water. And then, because of the sinfulness of mankind, we see that the world was judged. It was overflowed with water, and people perished. And then he goes in verse 7 and says this, But the heavens and earth, which now are by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto judgment, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so Peter says it was the word of God that created the worlds. We believe it was the word of God that judged the, word, the world. And we also believe that it's the word of God that is holding back judgment until God deems it time for the world to be judged. Is the word of God powerful? So, so when John uses that word logos in John 1.1 to describe Jesus, how powerful is the word of God? And Peter is, is trying to capture their hearts and minds to understand that this is true. As I said, Peter does a masterful job here of building an argument. He uses the scriptures skillfully to point people to the truth that was. He doesn't use uh, emotions or manipulation or trickery. It's just simple truth. Remember what has already been revealed to you. Remember the message of the, the apostles. Remember the messages of the prophets. Remember the truth that you heard of, of the world as it was created by God's word. And as he goes into verse 7, he points them to the reality that just as all of those things are true, they can also bank on this truth that a future judgment is coming as well. Why? Because God always keeps his promises. And in some ways, we like that thought because all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in that truth. But on the flip side of that coin, God also keeps his promises that the unrighteous will be destroyed does that grieve anybody else's heart like that that's not something we like to think about going back to the the scene at the the flood as we went through genesis that's one of the things that we said you know we often paint 
the scene of the flood as this happy time where Noah and his family are floating away on a boat to a beautiful tropical paradise. But what was happening all around them? Imagine the screams of people as, as they perish, as they drown to their death, at that moment trying to get on the ark. I imagine as the rain fell, it wasn't that bad of a scene. As it started to fall, the people were like, oh, this is cool. Water's falling from the sky. And, and they had a great time. But what happened when that water started to rise? They realized. And maybe they didn't realize in belief, but they realized that something bad was happening and there was nothing that they could do to stop, to stop it. And that's what Peter is, is trying to get across here as well. And so being willing, willingly ignorant of truth, it does not change the truth. All unbelievers will one day come to the grips, come to grips with this reality that there's a God that they will answer to. All human beings will come to this reality that they are not sovereign. They may think they are, and they may make their choices on this earth as they are, but in the end, they will come to grips with this truth that there is one who is sovereign and is God, and he will judge the earth. And so Peter's message is not a lighthearted one to these believers. He's, he's not just encouraging them to go on and live how they want, to live as, as what makes them feel good. He's reminding them that despite what the scoffers are saying, there is a judgment that's coming and they needed to be prepared for it and they needed to prepare, prepare those around them for it. And so, in the one hand, as Peter's message is being preached, um, we rejoice that those of us who believe won't face that judgment. But as I said a moment ago, on the other hand, our hearts should be deeply grieved because there will be many who have lived and will live who will face that judgment, and that should break our hearts because it is a truth that, that we believe. Some use Paul's words in Philippians where it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father to preach some sort of universalism that every man will be saved. But understand this, that when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, it means that some will confess to the eternity with God, and some will confess, and it will send them to, to their eternal judgment. And so again, it's a sobering thought that, that not all men will be saved, that not all men will come to faith in Christ, and Peter wanted these believers to understand that. All right, what are your thoughts on verses 5 through 7? Bruce, then Justin. Uh, just uh, if he had added Jonah and the whale, though, though I've been mocked yeah. by non-Christian friends many times for being ignorant <clears throat> enough to believe in account of creation, yeah. to believe in the flood, and believe in Jonah and the whale. You know, it just openly, so the, the scoffers and mockers are still mocking them. Absolutely. And yet, if we don't believe God can do that thing, it diminishes who God is. Yeah. Because John chapter 1, the God who became flesh and dwelt among us, he's the one who created <laughs> everything that was created. It was created, I think you read it this morning, Colossians, yeah. by him and for him. Yep. You know, and that's the head of our church. Yeah. Our head is not a good man. <laughs> Yeah. And died on the cross for me. Yeah. You know, it was just 
Amen. I was uh, listening to a book, I think it was a book I was listening to this week, and one of the things that the author was bringing up was this idea of how sometimes we can get arrogant in our Christian life thinking, well, you know, it didn't take that much to save me. And he said, anytime we start to think that, we have to stop and remember that it actually took God dying in order for us to be saved. And when we remember that truth, that's pretty humbling, right? I wasn't just a little bit lost. I was totally lost. I was totally on my way to separation from God forever. But God stepped in, and he was the only sacrifice that could have paid for my sins. And it, it's a sobering thought. And if, if God can, can do that, if God can become a man and die in our place to offer salvation, then why can't God create the world in seven days with a spoken word? And why can't God destroy the world with a worldwide flood? And why can't God come again one day to judge the world as the creator of it? Justin. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A, it is a good thought. And I'm going to save my thoughts till we get into that verse, if that's okay with you. And even if it's not okay, I'm going to save my thoughts till we get into that verse. <laughs> it is a good thought. Anybody else? Any thoughts, Seth? That's an excellent thought, and as you were speaking, my mind went to Christ on the cross, and all of those who were scoffing at him, he claims to be king of the Jews, what did he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's to be our response, and yet so often, I agree with you, Seth, it's not. You know, we, we would want to paint them off as, well, they're just ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. I have the truth, and they don't, and I'm not going to share it with them if that's going to be their attitude. But that can't be our attitude because that wasn't our Christ's, that wasn't our Savior's attitude, and we're supposed to mimic Him. Good thought. Anybody else? Yes, Annie. Yeah. 
Absolutely. What's the, what's the psalm say? Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, right? That's the, the, and they laugh at us because they have physical things that they can hold to and say, this is what's going to give me victory. This is what's going to give me peace. And they can't see our God. The Bible says no man has seen God. I don't know about you, but I can see, I can see God through his word and through his creation and in the change that he's given to me uh, through the form of peace through his son, Jesus Christ. And so though they can't see it, that's, that's partially why they scoff at it, because they don't understand. And that goes back to what Paul writes about of, of why can't they understand because they've been blinded by the God of this world. There, there's one who has shielded them from seeing the truth in some regard, and why wouldn't they make fun of it? People make fun of things that they can't understand. That's true from school age all the way up to adult. If somebody is a little different, people will make fun of that difference. Why? Because they can't comprehend it. They can't understand it, and so they'll scoff at it because it's not, it's not a reality that they understand. And as that was true in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's going to continue to be true uh, until Jesus comes again. Any other thoughts? Bruce? The, the natural man cannot receive spiritual. Yeah. They can't understand it. And when I was talking about the scoffers, that was me hmm. before I got saved. Yeah. Absolutely. And I knew the Bible stories that they were. Yeah. Bible stories filled with floating around the bowls of scripture. <laughs> yeah. But once I got saved, Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, so we don't want to give up on those no, people absolutely not. who are mockers and persecute us because I was one of yeah. those until the Lord got hold of me. Well, that's Paul's story, right? That's a, absolutely. Heidi. Absolutely. We like rabbit trails once in a while. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, well, it goes back to that, even as, as Bruce was talking about, you know, these things aren't revealed to the natural men. It's that regeneration that takes place that I don't think we fully understand. Like, what, when, when do our eyes become open? Well, I would believe it's 
our eyes become opened when God says our eyes will be opened. When we come, when he, when he unveils our eyes, when he takes the blinders off, that's when we see the truth, and that's when we're able to respond in an affirmative way. And like you said, if, if, if it was up to us alone, then we would always think that we can handle life. But it's not up to us alone. God, God has done a great work to reveal his son to us and show us um, our, our need of salvation and uh, the way of salvation. And these scoffers are scoffing again, because their eyes have been blinded, because uh, they cannot see the truths that are afar off. They, they cannot see the reality of what God has revealed. And we're going to end today by reading through some of Romans 1. And what happens to all those in Romans 1? They're given over. They're given over. They're given over. Why? And that's a sign of God's wrath upon them, because they're given what ultimately they've wanted that turns into the wrath of God. Somebody else? Dave, and then Justin again. Absolutely. Justin. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's speaking to both their hearts towards the the depravity of man like there there should be something in us if we're saved that we pity those who are still lost in their sins that that we genuinely feel for them because of the the state of their soul which if it's left in that position is what eternal destruction and so that there should be something that breaks our heart for them and not simply being complacent in the gift that we've been given last thoughts anybody all right good oh dave no go Whoa. That's good. Um, I think 
just tagging on to what Dave was saying, and it might be a little bit of a rabbit trail, Heidi, forgive me. Um, oftentimes we think we're the ones who save, right? That if, if I can just convince the scoffer, then that's when they're going to be saved. Well, I can't save anybody. It's my job to present the truth. It's my job to, to preach the gospel. That's every Christian's job. But I can't convince anybody to be saved. It's, it's the power of the Spirit of God. And so as the scoffers come, as Seth said, there's a part of us that, that wants to recoil and not do anything. But that's not my job. My job's not to recoil. My job is to proclaim the truth. And if you, if you read through Acts and you see, Paul, see Paul's life, did anything cause him to recoil? No. In fact, everything that he faced only fueled his fire to what? To preach the gospel to those who haven't heard. And that should be the same for us, that it, it fuels something within us that we will share the truth. All right, I'm not even looking up this time. Um, verses 4 through 7, we see that Paul or Peter tells them that this is what the scoffers are ignorant about. In verses 8 through 10, he goes on to encourage the believers to not be ignorant and, and first off, he starts in verse 8. He says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Going to what Justin said, many have tried to claim this then to say that every day um, in creation was a thousand-year period, a day-age theory that over a long span of time, God slowly allowed the natural process uh, to take place, and then after 6,000 years plus 1,000 years of God resting, the world was where it was. Well, that would have made Adam really old, right, from the time he was created until the time of the seventh day. Also, I think it's okay for us to understand that sometimes the Bible uses literary devices to get across a message that it's trying to proclaim. So, so God's not giving us like the the equation of dog years. One human year is seven dog years, and then you can figure out how old your dog is. And so we can kind of count backwards and say, well, if one day with the Lord is a thousand years, how many days has the earth been around? So then we can, we can backtrack and figure all these things out. It's just a literary device, right? He's just saying that, that time with God is not what we think of as time. Why? Because God is outside of time. He created time and space, and so he's not constrained to its limits. And so when he says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, he's just saying, hey, don't be surprised that it seems like things are lasting a really long time, because God doesn't have the same view of time that we have. You give a promise to a kid, and when does a kid want to see the fulfillment of that promise? That's why you don't tell your kids things, right? You don't tell them you're going on a trip. Why? Because every day, is it time yet? Is it time yet? I remember as a kid waiting on my parents' couch, there was a birthday party that was taking place at 3 o'clock. I couldn't even tell time yet. But my mom finally told me, you know, when that thing gets to the 3 like, like this, that's when you're good to go. And I sat there. And you know what it seemed like? A thousand years. What was it really? A couple of hours. And so what is, what is going on here? These scoffers are saying, Things have continued as they always have been. God isn't doing anything. God's not working. God's not functioning as you think he's functioning. God's not going to bring about all these things. And Peter's saying, guys, before you get too worked up over this, remember, God works outside of time. His plan will always come to be. You may not understand it. You may not understand the time frame that he's working in, but God's plan will always come to be. And so it's not an equation for us to figure things out. It'd be cool if it was, but at least as far as I believe, it's not. All God is revealing to us through Peter is that 
God doesn't work in the same time frame or timeline that we work in. And so Peter, along with the other New Testament writers, believed what? That they were living in the last days. And why did they believe that? Because they were living in the last days. And what are we living in? The last days. And so what do we do? We wait patiently on the promise of God to be fulfilled with confidence. Why? Because God always fulfills His promises. And so we may not put a time, be able to put a timeline on things. It's fun to, to think about things and guess about things, but the Bible says that no man knows when Jesus is returning. No man knows. And so what do we do until that day? We serve Jesus. <laughs> we serve Jesus. We do the things that he has called us to do while not being sidetracked by the scoffer. So verse 8, Peter is, is speaking figuratively about a very literal thing, that God is working even though it's outside of your concept of time. God is working. You can bank on that. In verse 9, he goes on to say, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so Peter says, I want you to know in verse 8, God is working on a different timeline than you are. In verse number 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What does that mean? Peter's saying, God's going to make good on his promise. He's never made a promise that he hasn't kept. And, and just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. So God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. Who are the men that were counting God's promise as slackness? The scoffers. Peter's saying, don't listen to them. Why? Because they don't know what they're talking about. They're coming from a different place. Their heart is, is, is anchored in a different location. And he said, uh, God, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so what's Peter saying here? Peter is saying the waiting period that you are in is for the mercy of God to accomplish what the mercy of God is going to accomplish. Do you know who the last person to be saved will be? Does God know? So, so when is God's timeline going to take its next step? when God says it's time to take the next step. And so what do we do till that time? We serve Jesus. Why? Because the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. His desire is for men to be saved, for all men to be saved. And when God knows the last person who is going to be saved is saved, guess what? Things are going to start to look very different. And so our job up until that moment is to be faithfully proclaiming the truth of who God is, to be faithfully putting forth the word of God, to be faithfully uh, preaching the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knows who's going to be saved. God has that figured out. And just because we don't have it figured out doesn't give us an excuse to go hands off. But in the time that he has us here, we press on in the work that he's called us to, which is to proclaim the gospel to every creature. And so the Lord is not slack. And so what does that also mean for us? that we're not to be slack, that we're to be about the business that God has called us to. So as we think about the promises of God, the truth is every promise of God is a present reality even if it hasn't come to fruition yet. Do you believe that? That every promise of God is a present reality even if it hasn't come to fruition yet. What does that mean? It's a present reality in God's world. Why? Because, again, God is outside of time. He's outside of what we understand. And so just because we haven't seen it does not mean that it's not going to come true. 
And so uh, Peter is encouraging them that God's delay or seemingly delayed activity or action in bringing about this judgment is so that his mercy can work in the hearts of those who will be redeemed, for those who he will uh, bring to himself. Uh, And Peter wanted them to have confidence that God is not slack in these things. And God always makes good on his word. And just because we don't understand who and what and when and where and why doesn't mean that God is not truthful. It just means that there are things about God that, that we can't comprehend. Now, in Peter's day and in our day, oftentimes that gives people pause and they say, well, if God hasn't done it, then I don't think he's going to do it. But what do we do in those moments? We go back to what God has already done. The promises of God in the past always point us to the promises of God being fulfilled in the future. And so it's, it's, a, it's a timeline for us, right? We often only like to think of where we're at to the future, and we want God to do all these things, and when he doesn't do them in the order or in the timeline that we want him to, we begin to doubt. But instead of looking from where we are to the future, we have to look from the beginning to where we are to the future, and that will give us confidence that God's word will indeed always come true. I want to hit verse 10, and then we'll, we'll stop, and we'll end there, and then have a time for, for a conversation. But in verse number 10, Peter continues and says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I love Peter's analogy here at the beginning of verse number 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. What is he telling them? Be ready, right? Who's prepared for their house to get broken into all the time? You lay there at night, the thief is coming, the thief is coming. It's not something we, we plan on, and yet at the same time, we still plan for it, if that makes sense. Like we have it in the back of our minds that it could be a reality, but when it happens, do you think most people are still surprised? Like I, I thought it could happen, but I never thought it would happen to me, right? Peter's saying, Be prepared because the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the judgment of Christ, it will come as a thief in the night. And in that moment, the heavens shall pass away and shall melt with a fervent heat. Uh, The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and all the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and the earth also in its works that are there and shall be burned up. Do you think that imagery caught those readers' attention? Yeah. Why? Because it's a very graphic scene. That things are going to change, and it's going to be a rapid change, and it's going to be an instant change, and you need to be prepared for that day. So the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When I heard that, when I read that this week, it reminded me of what we talked about this morning in Mark's gospel about his use of immediately, and how it points to this idea that, that Jesus always worked with an intensity and an urgency to carry out his father's business. Well, when Peter tells us the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, what should that put in us? An intensity and an urgency to preach the gospel and to live the life that God has called us to live. So the world will be judged again. We know it won't be judged again with water, but Peter says it's going to be judged again with fire. And when is that going to happen? When the Lord deems it's time to happen. I'm actually thankful I don't know. Because when I know things, I can become kind of lazy, right? Eh, I got time. Anybody else ever procrastinate in school? You, you had a paper due. You, you had a, a, something that has to be done for work. I can push that off. I can push that off. 
And I think that would breed within us this complacency to just say, I'll get to it. I got my alarm set. I know how much time I need to do the things that have to be done. And Peter's saying, don't live with complacency. The scoffers are living with complacency. They're saying it doesn't matter. Things are always how they always have been, or they are now as they always have been. Don't live with complacency. Don't be ignorant that just because God's not working in the timeline that you think he should, it doesn't mean he's not working. Any thoughts? There's a lot there. Anybody? Gina. Absolutely, absolutely. Somebody else? Yeah. Oh. Here and then here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice if it worked that way, right? Our, our own private genie to do what we want when we want. Um, but that's not how God works. And, and going to what Gina said, tying that into that, you know, it, it, he does it to teach us patience. He does it to teach us he's in control, that we're not in control. And we love control. Anybody else like control? We love control. And yet God's saying, no, it's okay. I've got it under control. And a day with me is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So hold your horses and just trust me. Justin. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's again that that in most people's minds is that spiritual versus the physical, right? that I can grasp a, a real thief coming in. That's why our doors are locked at night. And yet, if we're honest, there are times in all of our lives where things are undone, spiritually speaking, because we don't think about those things. We don't, we don't, it's, it's the same thing. If you ever drove by our house when we lived on Mill River Road, you would have never seen in our house. Why? Because Brianna had those shades closed if she could have locked the shades from the inside, she would have locked the shades from the inside. Why? Because she doesn't want people peeking in our windows. That's, that's the truth of how she is. My family is blown away that we don't have blinds on our downstairs windows. We have them on the upstairs windows, but the down, every time they come, my mom was, I can't believe she doesn't have blinds up yet. It's just her, it's how she is. And, and not to, to use my wife in a negative example, but let's switch to everybody now. How many of us know that God can see everything that we do? And don't we still often do the things that we're not supposed to do? So it's, again, the physical versus the spiritual. Because we have a physical idea that somebody could peek in our windows, we shut the blinds. But because in a spiritual sense, we often don't live in those realities, we can excuse our sin or condone our sin and live like it doesn't really matter. Anybody else before we... Bruce. But God so loved the world, he doesn't want any parents. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, it's not our job to write them off, right? God knows. <laughs> there you go. I want to end tonight in Romans chapter 1, as I said, and you can turn there, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 30. And as Peter's writing, he's refuting the scoffers who say things are as, uh, are as they always have been, and so we don't have to worry about a future judgment. But in verse number 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts' heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of women burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so as Peter is writing to refute the message of the scoffers, what are the scoffers saying? Things are always as they have been. There's no need to worry about judgment. But you know what Paul says in Romans 1? Judgment is already taking place. That when God gives those who are vile and sinful, when they have a knowledge of God and they reject that knowledge of God to do the things that they want to do, there's a point at some time, and we're not the judge of when this point is, that God gives them over to those things and the wrath of God is resting upon them. So are things always as they have been? No. God created the world. He destroyed it because of judgment. The world is very different now and one day it's going to get destroyed again. But in a spiritual sense, we must understand that just because things seem to be going smoothly, and even for the lost world at times when things seem to be going well, understand this, that God, according to Paul, could have already given them over to his wrath. And the thing that they're enjoying the most could actually be the thing that's going to damn them for all of eternity. So things are not always as they have been. God is working. God is doing something that, that our 
minds can't comprehend, that our eyes at times can't ever see, uh, even see, but he is working. And those, those who, who will be saved, guess what? They will be saved. They will be saved. And those who will not be saved, guess what? They will not be saved. But in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness towards us. God, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the revelation of our own sinfulness, God, that you have opened our eyes to see the truth. And God, I pray that as we think through this message of Peter tonight, that we would understand this reality that, God, you are a holy and just God. And though we don't understand what you're doing and when you're doing it and how you're doing it and why you're doing it, God, the truth is we can be comforted in the promise that you are doing it. God, I pray that we would be confident in these things and that it would shape our lives, that we would take the message of the gospel to the world. And though we don't know who will be saved, God, the truth is you do know who will be saved. And God, I pray that we would be faithful in proclaiming that truth, trusting you with the results and looking forward to that day when we are with you. We thank you for your goodness towards us. God, we thank you that, that we are not sovereign, but we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you are trustworthy in that position. Be with us as we go our separate ways. Help us to have safety as we travel home tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.